to the elders among you. I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. But all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud, but shows favour to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power, forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I've written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings. And so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. As we come to the end of Peter's letter to the churches uh, in what we would now call Turkey, the churches that had been undergoing a period of persecution, of ridicule and abuse and uh, oh, it, was, it was persecution. That wasn't the exact word that I'm drawing a blank on, but that's okay. But they're going through a time where there was real temptation to, to either think God is against us or to think maybe I should just give, all, give it all up. It's too hard. And through this time, Peter has been writing to encourage this church to stand firm in Jesus. And he's been writing to them saying, we, now that we've followed Jesus, we are like foreigners, like strangers living in another land. We, we have a home there and we have a place that we belong to and we have people around us, but this isn't our real home. This isn't our true home. And so in encouraging us in what it looks like to live and be strangers in this world, he's encouraged us about living good lives among the world around us so that even if they 
dislike us. People have to stop and think, actually, you know, these guys do walk the walk. They, they do what they say they're going to do. They do show us something of what Jesus was like. That they love even when people hate them. That they pray for those who persecute them. And they always have an, a reason to, for the hope that they have. They always have an answer. And as Peter is closing off this letter, he talks to us about one final thing about living through suffering and living, living through difficult times. And the key to this last passage is humility. And it's interesting that for, for most of the history before Christ, humility was seen in the ancient world as a bad thing. You were humble only if you had to be. You think about the way we use the word humiliation these days. We think being humble is a good thing, but being humiliated is a bad thing. Well, in the ancient world, it was all kind of the same thing, that to, be, to be, have someone over you, to recognise that you know, somebody was putting you in their place, that was a bad thing. You shouldn't be humble, but you should be, you know, if, if you're high status, be high status and let, other, let the little people serve you. But Jesus came and he taught Peter something very different. When they had their last Passover meal together, Jesus, Peter's teacher, took his outer robe off and brought out a basin of water and washed his disciples' feet. And he told them out in the world, they, you know, the people who are in authority, they lord it over those who they rule over. That's not how it's going to be with you. But just as I, your teacher, your master, have washed your feet, have humbled myself, to serve you, so should you serve those that you lead as you go forward. And Peter never forgot the example that Jesus had set for him. Peter never forgot what Jesus had taught about humility. And so as he encourages us here, speaking both to the elders in the church and to, to the rest of the congregation, the key to it all is humility. Humility turns us into the family that God wants us to be for one another. He says, to the, to the elders at this point, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. There is a family dynamic God wants to see in his family. And so Peter begins by speaking to the elders in the church and that uh, probably doesn't just apply to the way that we define the, the eldership group in our church today, that the elders who um, have elders meetings and discuss things about the spiritual life of the church, but for anybody who has any position of authority in the church, for anybody who leads a Bible study or any kind of ministry, who leads a, a women's prayer time, 
who leads uh, the Sunday school. If you have a position of responsibility in the church, Peter says to us, be shepherds of God's flock. It's a great honour to be called to be a shepherd, to have a position of authority, to have a position to teach other people. But he reminds us it's not our flock, it's God's flock. For anybody who has any position of leadership in the church, it's good to be reminded that this isn't my church, this is God's church. This isn't my Bible study group, this is God's Bible study group. This isn't my Sunday school, this is God's Sunday school. And I want to start off talking to those who in this room do have a position of leadership in this church. Peter, in telling us to be a shepherd, is of course telling us to be like Jesus, who set the example for him and for all of us. We know that through Israel's history, shepherds, God chose shepherds to lead his people, to show them Leading the people is like caring for the sheep. He chose Moses, who had been a shepherd, and David, who had been a shepherd. And the shepherd in Israel was so known by his sheep that he could just talk and they would follow him. They didn't have, you know, vast, vast ranches with with you know, big fences everywhere to keep the sheep where they were supposed to be and round them up with sheep dogs. But they could talk and the sheep would follow because they cared for the sheep. That was their job, to look after the sheep. And so for those who are going to be shepherds in God's flock, Peter warns us against three pitfalls that can so often happen to anybody in a position of leadership first thing he warns us against is obligation. Serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing. And I know for anybody who has been in any any ministry position or, or any leadership position for any length of time, well, well, maybe it's just me, But I think everybody has those days where it's like, well, I guess I have to get this thing done today. It's it's Friday, it's time, this thing has to happen, I suppose. And it's very easy for us to feel like that sometimes, and we will have times where we're tired and where things are more of a struggle. And it's in those times most especially that we need to remind ourselves, God has given me the privilege of being a shepherd in this situation. And so we can't help sometimes that that first idea comes into our head that says, oh, I don't really feel like this one today. But we can choose how we think about things after that, whether we agree with that thought and continue with that, well, I guess we'll just get it done attitude. Whether we go, no, no, I'm going to push back on that. 
and I'm going to pray that God will give me the strength and the energy and I'm going to remember the privilege that I have that he saved me out of darkness and into light and that he's given me a position to help to lead people in that same path. The second pitfall that Peter warns us against is money. Don't be greedy for money, but eager to serve. There's generally two things that will... uh, that will pull down people in positions of leadership, not just in the church, uh, but in wider society. And one of those two is definitely money. When When we begin to love the money more than we love the ministry. There are places in the church where it's appropriate for a person who does a ministry to be paid for the work that they do. Uh, The the disciples talk about this. They talk about, uh, you know, just as you you don't muzzle the ox as they're treading out the grain, uh, which is a picture of, uh, from their agrarian lifestyles, that you, you, you know, the oxen gets its benefit from doing the work as it gets to eat as it works. So the worker deserves their wages. And so they talk about in the church about how it's okay for people to be paid to do certain ministries. But sometimes that pay can then become the goal. That money can become what we do things for. Money is a useful thing. People often mistakenly think that the Bible says that Money is the root of all evil, which isn't at all the case. Money has its uses. Money has its place. But the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And the third thing that, he, that Peter warns us against, anybody who's in any position of leadership in the church or you know, even if you have a position of leadership in your workplace... All of these things that he says to the shepherds, the elders of the church, are good principles to put in place where you work as well. The third thing he warns us against is the love of power. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. To be the sort of person who, as a leader over others, would get down on the floor and wash their feet. Now I know each and every one of us has seen lots of people in positions of leadership. We've had teachers and then bosses over us. We've had coaches where we go and play sport. And some of us have been teachers and coaches and bosses. Or, as I mentioned before, you know, Bible study leaders. Or had some other position of authority. All of us know about that boss who was really just there for the money and didn't really care about anyone or anything. Maybe it wasn't your boss, but we've all seen them. Everybody knows that leader who was just there because they kind of had to be. That coach that took the job because nobody else took it and just kind of half-heartedly did everything. 
But I hope each and every one of us has also seen those leaders that show that type of leadership that Jesus has shown us. That are willing to serve, are willing to do things for the good of others. Jesus is, of course, our perfect example. Not just because he washed some feet. He came down from his glory, from the eternity where he lived with his Father, in a place where everything is perfect, and entered the sin and the mourning and the crying and the disease and the brokenness of our world to come and teach us about God. And then having taught us, he came to give his life as a ransom for many. The Bible tells us that Jesus came deliberately planning to die on that cross. It wasn't an accident. It had been foreshadowed for thousands of years through the Old Testament that this is what the Lord would come to do. Jesus of Nazareth came and people thought he was a wonderful teacher and a prophet who did great miracles and fed the hungry and healed the sick and the blind could see. And all of those things were wonderful, but his plan was much bigger than that because the problems in the world were much bigger than that we had all you know, we all get sick or that some people were blind and that some people go hungry. The problem with the world was that we have all sinned and all rejected the creator who made us, have all chosen to make ourselves Lord and master of our own lives. And the Bible teaches us that all of the brokenness all of the damage in our world came through as a result of that sin, of that selfishness, of putting ourselves as Lord and Master of our own lives because, of course, if, we're the, if I'm the Lord and Master of my own life, I'm only going to do what's best for me and that's going to hurt other people and cause problems for other people. And that's exactly what we've seen throughout all of human history. But Jesus, while we were still his enemies, as we sang about this morning, while we were still far from him, he came to teach us to put our trust back in God, to teach us that we could return to the father who loved us as the prodigal son returned to his father. And then he made it possible for those sins to be forgiven. He made it possible for there to be a future where everyone who trusts in him can have an everlasting life where the brokenness of this world is taken away, is swept away. And we see what the life that God created was supposed to be like. We see what it's like when people actually follow the way God has made us to be. 
in a world where there's no mourning or sickness or crying or pain. And if Jesus would come and serve us, although he was the son of God and we were sinners who didn't deserve forgiveness, it's important that we learn to serve and love one another as we follow that example of Jesus. And that, that humility and that serving is not just for those who are in positions of leadership, of course. But Peter likewise calls uh, the young men, or basically anybody in the church, the, the young ones, who, whoever's not a leader, in the same way be submissive to those who are older. But all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We can submit ourselves to one another, show humility towards one another, as if you know, treat everyone as though they're, they're better and more important than us, higher status than us. Whatever role we have within the church, we're to act with humility towards one another. And as, as in the church, so in the home. Yes, there might be people that have positions of leadership and authority. But that's not an opportunity to, uh, you know, put on our big boy pants and stomp around all expecting our own way. It's about love. It's about service. It's about caring and showing that love for one another. And that humility builds a family of trust that trusts one another. A family that builds up and encourages one another. And how much did, would this church have needed that encouragement in this time of suffering that they were to go through? That when they come together as a family, that love is so evident in the way that they all care for one another, serving one another. But Peter reminds us humility is not just for how we relate to one another. But when life is hard, we can also humble ourselves beneath God's mighty hand. Peter tells us that humbling ourselves is not about saying, oh yeah, well, life is hard, that's probably because I deserve it. You know, I've, I've probably done all of these things wrong and so God, God is throwing all this stuff my way because of all of that. I don't think that's what Peter is saying here. It's not about being pessimistic. It's not about only expecting hardships in our lives. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. The humility towards God is all about recognising that he can fix the problems in my life. He can fix the hard things in my life and I can't. Humility before God is about having the freedom that I don't have to fix everything that's broken in the world around me. But trusting that God can do it. That he will lift us up in his due time. 
And that's important that it's in his due time. It's not saying the second that you, you humble yourself before God, he will make everything right as rain again. And therefore, if anything's problematic in your life, you haven't been humble enough. That's not what it's saying. It's saying suffering happens to all of us. And we looked at that particularly last week. And nothing in the New Testament promises us that we who follow Jesus will be immune from suffering in our lives. When that suffering comes, we can humbly bring it to God and say, I can't fix this. I can't make this right. But I trust that in your right time, you'll lead me through it. And in that time between when life is hard and when he makes things right again, we can cast everything on him that keeps us up at night. Cast your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. And I can't tell you how many times I read that verse and prayed that verse uh, through the, the heart of the time where I wrestled with my anxiety and my struggles. And how many times that little voice chipped away saying, Oh, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Oh, well, these anxieties keep on coming, so maybe he doesn't care for you. Our minds can play tricks on us, or somebody else might be playing tricks on us. But take what Peter says there is the truth. He cares for you. And so whether you have to do it once or whether you have to do it a hundred times, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And trusting in God, trusting that he will make things right then, we can resist the enemy when he comes prowling, which Peter talks about next. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. As we read it, the full section that Peter says there, resisting the devil, again, doesn't mean pray in all hardships end like that. It doesn't mean... You know, saying those, those big dramatic, I denounce thee, Satan, sort of prayers. But in this context, resisting the devil is about holding on. That for a church going through a time of persecution and feeling all that temptation to just say, oh, I'll just stop going to church and then they'll stop persecuting me. I'll just, you know, maybe it's just all too hard. In that context, resisting the devil is saying, no, I'm going to hold on because what Jesus has promised is worth far more than the peace and quiet that I might get by falling away from him. And Peter reminds us around the world, people are facing, Christians are facing the same kinds of suffering. And just as God is giving them the strength to go on, he can do the same for you. So be encouraged. 
And the wonderful thing is the story doesn't end there with just that life is hard and full of suffering, but he will give us comfort in our suffering. But there's another step, the glory that is to come. Rather, we trust that the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered for a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. Now, I don't think this passage, this verse is just talking about heaven. It certainly is talking about heaven. That that's where we will have that perfect restoration, where there will be no more suffering that we have to endure. But the way that he says about after you have suffered for a little while, that he will restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast. And likewise, how he said back in verse 6 about how if we humbling ourselves under God's mighty hand, that he might lift us up in due time. I think that God, a lot of the time, does allow us to suffer for a season and then still in this life delivers us from that suffering for a time and for a season. The Bible, I don't think, tells us that it's all suffering every day until we die. That after we've suffered for a little while, he helps us up again, stronger in him. And yet as long as we live on this earth, another time of suffering may come. Another time of hardship may come. Or that suffering may go on and on until we die. But even if it does... He will restore us perfectly in him. That even this body that's sown perishable and full of pain and aches and troubles will be raised imperishable. And all who have put their trust in Jesus will know his glory when he makes all things new. And as Peter finishes off this letter that he's written, uh, closing it out with with, all the usual things that a letter has, greetings from Silas uh, and Mark and all of the others who are in Rome. Uh, I know he said Babylon. Babylon wasn't really a city at that point in time and Peter wasn't in Babylon, he was in Rome. Uh, So he was sort of, using Babylon as a bit of a code word in the letter. As he's closing out his letter with all of these greetings from other people, he he encourages us all one last time, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. What is the true grace of God? What is the gospel? That Jesus died and he rose again, not to deliver us from every hardship in this life, but that for those who would follow him, even through some of that hardship, we have a hope that can never be taken away and that will never perish or spoil or fade. He encourages us that the troubles that we face pale in comparison to the glory we look forward to.
So never give up hope. Don't listen to the lie that says, if I'm going through a hard time, God must be angry with me or punishing me. Or the voice that sneaks along that says, maybe he's not there at all. But when life is hard, hold on. Stand firm to the gospel of the one who was willing to go through so much suffering for you, who was given all of the glory forever and ever. And trust that even in our hard times, he will be with us. We can cast all of our struggles on him and look forward to the restoration that is to come. Now in part, but one day perfectly. Let's pray. God, our Father, you know that none of us enjoy times of suffering and hardship, whether they be times of poor health, whether they be bouts of depression or anxiety, whether they be uh, the loss of our family and our friends, whether it be a time of persecution and people turning against us because of our faith, like it was for the people that Peter was talking to. None of us enjoy going through those times of suffering. And so often in suffering we can cry out to you, wondering what we've done wrong, why you're allowing these things to happen. Lord, when we go through suffering, everyone in this church, whether they're going through it right now or if they have a bout of it in their future, just help each and every one to remember in the midst of that, you care for us. We can cast all our anxieties on you because you care for us. And you're not unable to sympathise and empathise with the pain that we're going through. But we follow a Saviour who's been through far more than we will ever face. And we thank you, Jesus, for all that you went through on our behalf. And so, Lord... For those who are suffering, we pray that the time might be soon when your due time will come, that you'll pick them up and dust them off, made stronger in you for the bout of suffering that they've gone through. And we pray most especially that when those times come, you would help us to lift our eyes and to hold on and stand firm in the hope that we have that no matter how tough things might get, we have an incredible hope to look forward to that can never be taken away. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.